wife, Julia, Valentine's Day present. <clears throat> I slept for 15 hours last night. Now, hold on. It's a gift to be able to reframe things that benefit me as gifts for my wife. So let me, let me explain. Uh, you know, we had a huge moving process this weekend, moved into a new house, and um, I did not sleep very much for the last two or three days. And so by sleeping for 15 hours, I was giving Julie back the non-cranky Charles, which is a gift. Happy Valentine's Day. Now, men and women go and try to top that with your loved ones in your life. Um, let's pray before we dive into Scripture, and then we'll get going. God, we just pray that you would be at work in our midst, that you would speak to us, um, and God, that you would give me clarity to articulate the word that I feel like you've given me and to us as a community. Um, God, we, we lean on you. You are the reason that we are who we are. We're here because of you. You made us. And we owe you everything, and we just want uh, the the minutes that follow and the hour that follows just to be a, a reflection of uh, how much we care about you and how much you mean to us. So just be continue to be at work in our midst and show us uh, what you need to show us. Um, tell us what we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a buzz out there about changing the world. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but it's all over the place. And I think this impulse to change the world is especially prevalent in younger generations. Um, we're, we're activists, we're, we're advocates, and I think every young generation kind of has some of that uh, an, uh, philanthropic spirit. You think back to the 70s and the Jesus movement and the, and the hippies, you know, a bunch of younger generations that fuel changing the world. We're passionate about seeing things made right. Uh, we care for other things than profit and wealth and success. Though we care about those things some, because how much do those things really mean if we can't use them to help somebody else, to help take care of somebody else? Uh, it makes me think about Tom Shoes. You guys heard of Tom Shoes? Uh, guy has some business savvy and wants to go out and start a business, and it's not enough for him to start a shoe business to make a profit, he wants to change the world. And so for every pair that's bought from Tom's Shoes, he gives a pair to a child in need. And I've seen some of you wearing Tom's Shoes. They're pretty cool. A big reason for this buzz about changing the world is because the world needs changing. There you have it. The world needs changing. It's obvious to, to all of us, whether we're Christians or non-Christians or Democrats or Republicans, mostly, or, or anything, all of us think the world needs changing. We can tell that the world is broken and it needs to be fixed. Healthcare in America is in shambles. There are 30 million people. 10% of our population does not have health insurance. Can you imagine having to pay for health care without health insurance? Something's broken. The American economy is in shambles right now. The unemployment rate just went above 10% for the first time in a long, long, long time. Haiti is in shambles because of this monstrous earthquake. The death toll this last week reached 
230,000. That's awful. Something is terribly broken in the world. And that's just the beginning of the list. There are literally millions of items that we could put below those things. Perhaps even billions of things that need to be fixed. It's overwhelming. It's hard to think about. It's just too much to swallow sometimes. One common approach to rallying people to change the world is to talk about the power of one. Changing the world starts with one person. One person at a time, the world can change. I think this is a brilliant approach because there are six billion plus people in the world. Numerous nations, monstrous oceans that span several hundreds of thousands of miles, and all kinds of problems to go with it. Changing the world is a big task because the world is a pretty big place. And so talking about the power of one is more manageable. It's less overwhelming. I can wrap my mind around one. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around six billion. I can do one. I am one. Changing the world means starting with me. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that. A few years ago, I signed up to receive updates and information from a new organization. Bono and friends had started an organization to end poverty in Africa and in the rest of the world. And their approach was a grassroots kind of advocacy that uh, built its entire identity around the power of one. The organization is named One. Back in November, several of us attended the Justice Revival event at the Dallas Market Center. And the last segment of the event featured Israel Hooten and New Breed, a fantastic band. They sang a song called The Power of One. In fact, that's the, the, uh, the cover of his album entitled The Power of One. Uh, listen to this clip of this song about The Power of One. ago, I attended a board retreat for the Dallas Junior Chamber of Commerce. I was elected to the board um, for 2010. Um, and a former Dallas Junior Chamber president and current uh, Texas State Junior Chamber president, he was, he was a part of our board retreat that weekend, and he was super stoked to show us a video that he'd seen at a national convention that just got him charged up 
you could tell he was passionate. He was so moved by what he saw. He, he stopped in the middle of his presentation, went to the computer, and Googled and YouTubed until he found it so that he could show it to us. And this is what he showed us. sense the buzz? Do you, do you feel jazzed up about going out and changing the world because you can do it? Because you, you've got power because you're one, right? You sense the buzz out there? You know, Jesus is probably in good company with these organizations and individuals. Many of them, after all, are directly or at least indirectly influenced by him because Jesus, you know, was quite the world changer himself. His message about the kingdom of God was a message about changing the world. And Jesus did, in fact, change the world, such that two millennia later, we're sitting here in an elementary school in Dallas, Texas, talking about him, talking about his stories. Jesus demonstrated, perhaps more than anybody else, the power of one. And one of the ways that Jesus changed the world was through the signs and wonders He performed, the miracles He performed. Take the Gospel of Matthew, for instance, the subject of our current conversation series. (coughs) Excuse me. Matthew 8 and 9 are home to the most concentrated occurrence of Jesus' miracles. You're going to want to see this. Uh, If you get your paperback, turn to 664, and we're just going to take a a little tour through Matthew 8 and 9. There are about a dozen, in these two chapters, there are about a dozen miracles in close proximity to each other. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right. I got it. All right, so in Matthew 8, 1 through 3, you see Jesus heals a man with rotting skin. 8, 5 and following, Jesus heals a Roman officer's paralyzed servant. 8.14 and 15, Jesus takes away a fever from Peter's mother-in-law, which I'm sure Peter received major brownie points for. 
8.16, Jesus heals numerous sick people and removes evil spirits who are dwelling in other people. 8.23 following, Jesus calms a storm by talking to it. 8.28 following, Jesus sends demons dwelling into two men into a herd of pigs. The people that made that Power of One video might not be too happy about that. 9.1 following, Jesus heals a paralyzed man so that he can walk. 9.18 following, Jesus brings a girl back to life who'd been dead. 9.20 following, on the way to raising the girl from the dead, he heals a woman who had had uncontrollable menstrual bleeding for a dozen years. 9.27 following, Jesus gives sight to two blind men. 9.32 following, Jesus removes an evil spirit that had kept a man from talking for most of his life. He drove that spirit out and that guy started talking after having been mute for so long. 9.35, Matthew tells us that Jesus basically repeated chapters 8 and 9 over and over and over again in every town that he went to. He basically went on a tour the way Jairus goes on a tour. People made t-shirts with miracle tour striped across the front of them. Where did you see Jesus? I saw him in Tiberias. Oh, he healed my mom's spastic colon in Capernaum. Can you imagine the kind of buzz that would have been caused by this miracle worker? This guy who is changing the world. What is going on with these signs and wonders? Why did Jesus do them? What was the point? Some would prefer to spiritualize them or demythologize them. Jesus calming the storm symbolizes the way faith in God gives us peace during the storms of our lives. Jesus driving the demons into pigs symbolizes the way that all of our problems are gone away and resolved by eating bacon. In the words of Jim Gaffigan, Bacon, bacon, bacon! In other words, Jesus didn't really heal these people or remove evil spirits. That's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? Nobody does that. Those are just pretty stories. Those are myths from which we can extract spiritual truths. I say, burnt with the family feud buzzer. We have two choices when it comes to viewing the world. We can view the world as a closed system assumed by those who would want to spiritualize these miracles because in a closed world, the realm of possibilities is limited to what we perceive to be the laws of nature, the normal way of things as we have observed it ourselves. God, if God even exists, wound the clock and at the beginning of time, He let that clock run. And that clock is ticking and it's on its own path. At the beginning of time, God created the pool table and the pool balls and He hit that pool stick and the balls are just, they're in motion and nobody's interrupting where they're going. Second choice, we can view the world as an open system rather than a closed one, the way Jesus did, where God is like a king and the world is like His kingdom. He interacts regularly with the world he created in the way Obama, as president, interacts with the American world. It's much more relational. It's much more organic. In an open system, God is very much involved in the world. And the realm of possibilities is limited to what God is capable of, which is anything. He created the world from scratch, for crying out loud. 
If you're open to viewing the world as an open system rather than a closed one, then that unlocks another possibility for viewing Jesus' miracles. We get a glimpse of that possibility when Jesus sends out His twelve, His twelve closest friends and followers to replicate His miracle tour in the other cities around Palestine. Look at 10, chapter 10, verses 6 through 8 in Matthew, page 665. So Jesus is saying, Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, He says to the twelve, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Notice the connection between verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, share the message that the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 8, heal people and drive out evil spirits. In other words, verse 7, announce that the kingdom has arrived. Verse 8, show them that the kingdom has arrived. In other words, verse 7, tell them that the world is changing. Verse 8, change their world. Jesus' miracles are not just signposts that are pointing to another world. Though They certainly are that. They are, however, actual demonstrations that God's world has broken into our world. Jesus' miracle tour was a world-changing tour. When He removed people's diseases, He changed the world to look like God's world. When He gave people their legs, their eyes, their ears, He changed the world to look like God's world. When He drove out evil spirits that possessed people, He changed the world. He changed it from Satan's world to God's world. I think Jesus would appreciate all the current buzz about changing the world. But Jesus is different in a very significant way from all of these power of one campaigns that we've seen. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10, page 664. I'm going to summarize as you look at this passage. A Roman officer asks Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant. And Jesus says, where does he live? And this is what the officer says back to him. I'm a man under authority, just like you. So you can do whatever you want from wherever you want. And Jesus is just amazed that, that, uh, that this guy, this Roman officer, would get it, would say what he did. He's got faith unlike anybody I've seen around here. Why does Jesus get so jazzed up by what this guy says? He just says, well, I'm under authority just like you, and so you can do whatever you want. The Roman officer got it. Jesus was not getting his power from himself. Jesus was a man under authority, just like the officer. Jesus got his power from God. The officer tells the soldiers where to go because he has authority from the emperor. Jesus tells the spirits where to go and the disease where to go because he has authority from the king, from God. The underlying assumption of the power of one idea is that humanity has everything it needs in and of itself to change the world. If each of us just try hard enough, we could change the world one person at a time. We've got the power within us. We just need to use it. Jesus 
would disagree. Jesus believes in the power of one. But that power is not yours. It's not mine. It's God's. In the Christian story, humanity is too broken to fix itself. We have thousands of years of history to confirm that truth. As hard as we try, we can't do it on our own. We make progress technologically and as a civilization only to use that same civilization and technology to destroy each other. World War I, World War II, Vietnam, Desert Storm, Iraq, Afghanistan, so on and so forth. We try to love each other and stuff like Rwandan genocide breaks out. Humanity on its own is irreparably broken. Humanity cannot fix itself. Humanity cannot, on its own, change the world. According to Jesus, only God can change the world. Only God has the authority and power to make the changes that are necessary. Jesus calls us to believe in the power of one. And that one, the one, is God. The one is the power of God. Now, I know that might leave you reeling, because, I mean, you've gotten pumped up about, I can change the world, let's go out and do this. And now, well, okay, it's, it's God's thing. It's God's power. Where does that leave me? I had so much power at the beginning of this conversation. Where did, where's my power now? I mean, what am I supposed to do with this? How am I supposed to take this and work with it? What does this require of us? This realization or this idea, how do we help change the world if we can't? Do we go out and start a miracle tour in the parking lot? Maybe you haven't noticed, Charles, but when was the last time any of us healed somebody's rotten skin? Maybe never? Granted, granted, I, I'll give you that. I'll be the first to agree that the signs and wonders in Jesus' ministry don't happen with the same kind of frequency today that they occurred with in the ministry of Jesus. At the same time, if we're choosing to view the world as an open system, of which God is the creator, of which God is a part, then it certainly doesn't rule out that we'll experience or even facilitate some bona fide signs and wonders. I think there's a really good reason why so many were associated with the ministry of Jesus, and that was the inauguration of the kingdom of God. To announce the entrance of the kingdom into the world, there has to be something special to accompany that. To say, hey, you need to pay attention. This is a big deal. This is going to change the world. Some of you may be thinking, well, even if God is the only one, what a great job He's doing out there. Jesus, you really did a bang-up job when you were here because the world's still broken. The world still needs to be fixed. You need to come back and do about six billion more miracles to help us out. And by miracles, we don't mean miracles of life. Uh, don't double our population on us. Good, good point. That's another good point. Because while Jesus announced the kingdom's arrival in His day, the kingdom didn't arrive fully. Theologians call this the already not yet aspect of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is already here. In the ministry of Jesus, it showed up. But at the same time, it is not yet fully here. That's the reason the world is still broken. That's the reason so many things are left undone. There's, there's a day that will come when Jesus returns, when God will restore the world, when God will renew all things. 
when He'll make everything right. Can you imagine, though, why God would postpone that? What are you waiting for, God? This brokenness seems pretty urgent. Why would God postpone it? Because He wants you and me to make a choice to join Him, to believe in His power, to participate with Him in His power to change the world, to be on His team. Uh, We don't talk a whole lot about baptism in the Storyline community. We do some baptism, but baptism as a rite in the church. Um, And Storyline, we practice baptism as a church. Baptism, if you want to translate it into world-changing terms, baptism is saying in a public way, I want to be on God's team. I want to be with the one that has the power to change the world. I want to work alongside of God as He changes the world. I want to participate in that. Bottom line, we just need to join what God is doing in the world to change the world. Maybe it's miraculous in nature. More often, it's probably not. Whether it's miraculous or not is immaterial. What matters most is that we recognize that we can't change the world ourselves. That God has the power to change the world. That God is changing the world. And that we should join God if we want to have any chance of being a part of changing the world. Maybe the whole world changes because of it. Maybe our neighborhood changes because we work with God. But isn't that up to God? God is the one with the power. At the Justice Revival, Jim Wallace told a story uh, about... Jim Wallace has some awesome friends. You ever you, you meet people who are like, Dude, I wish I could be that person because they have all the friends that I would love to have. One of his friends, Desmond Tutu, I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, great name. I'm sure Jim Wallace calls him Des Tutu or something like that, you know, as his nickname. Laura Busby would appreciate that. Uh, so Jim Wallace is friends with Desmond Tutu. If you don't know who this guy is, he's the Archbishop of Johannesburg in South Africa. And um, Desmond Tutu was uh, and is a big figure in the Catholic Church, a big figure in social change and changing the world. So Jim Wallace goes over to South Africa to hang out with Desmond Tutu back in the days when apartheid was really strong in South Africa. Apartheid uh, was the racial segregation from African blacks and African whites, where the African whites were a small minority that ruled over the African blacks. Uh, Parallels in history, I really can't think of any. Okay, yeah, yeah, I can. So that kind of stuff happens all over the world, right? Okay, some bad stuff, some oppressive stuff was going on in South Africa. Jim Wallace, who cares about justice, goes to hang out with Desmond Tutu. And they're sitting in their chapel, uh, in Desmond Tutu's chapel, and they're praying. And Desmond is facilitating a time of prayer. And all of a sudden, African, uh, South African guards from the army bust in the doors and they line up the sides of the walls and they you know they've got big guns they've got big muscles and they're there just to intimidate Desmond Tutu because they know he's a staunch critic of apartheid and they don't want anyone getting in their way or shaking up the status quo and they want him to know that if he doesn't stop his campaign against apartheid they're going to stop him and Desmond Tutu Jim Wallace says is he's kind of a little man and he kind of looks around at these guys, you know, and Jim Wallace is like, I'm shaking in my boots. I'm like, what is he going to do? Are we going to have to run so that we don't die? And he kind of just, he starts shaking a little bit, starts looking at him and says, 
you guys need to be afraid. You guys need to be really afraid. Because God is on my side. God is on our side. We're on God's side and God is going to win. You need to be afraid. You need to be very afraid. And they walked out of that chapel, opened the doors, and they weren't touched. And that was probably a decade before apartheid ended. All began and materialized in the prayers of people like Desmond Tutu, who believed in the power of one, who believed in the power of God. God was the one. I want to be like Desmond Tutu. I want to, I want, in, in the face of opposition, in the face of the brokenness in the world, I want to say, you know what? God is on our side. And God will win. All we need to do is be in His army, on His team, and join His force because God is going to win. God is going to restore the world. I want to be like Desmond Tutu. I want to believe in the power of one. I want to believe in the power of God. Ryan is going to come and facilitate a time of response for us just to reflect about this idea that God, it's the power of God that changes the world. Uh, Ryan's going to help us dig into this on a personal level.